Buenos dias and good morning, Lindsley Avenue. Good morning. Glad everyone's here today. I appreciate everyone coming here this morning. If you're visiting, please come back. And if you are a regular, we are so glad to see you here. We are in the home stretch of our study of the fruit of the Spirit. This morning, we're going to talk about faithfulness. Then we have gentleness. And then we have self-control. So it's best. We're, we're a good ways through it. Three more to go, counting faithfulness today. Faithfulness. And appreciate anyone who is watching online. The dictionary says that faithfulness is the concept or the idea of remaining loyal unfailingly, continuing to remain loyal to someone or something, and putting that loyalty into practice regardless of circumstances. Faithfulness. No matter what, faithfulness. You may have noticed on the handout, I see some of you looking at it, that it's a bit light this morning. There's nothing on the back page, and there's not a lot of information on the front. That's because we're going to talk about an example, and I didn't want to, first of all, give it away, and it's a lot of pictures to show. But I want us to talk about an example. First, I really want to know who here knows who Ernest Shackleton was. Excellent. So I'm the only one in the building that knows who Ernest Shackleton was. If I want to tell a lot of stories, I could make up anything and you wouldn't necessarily know until you checked it out. But I'll try not to do that. I'm going to stay with the truth. Ernest Shackleton, there he is. Look how dapper he looked. He uh, lived uh, in the late 1800s and died 100 years ago this year, 1922. Ernest Shackleton. He was part of what's often known as the Great Age of Exploration, where Western powers went in many times where other people were already living and declared that they had discovered something, right? Pushed the people living there out of the way and now we had discovered this or that. But specifically, in the early 1900s and the 1910s, push after push was being made to discover or stand or say we have been to the North Pole and then to the South Pole. It was Admiral Peary who had discovered or got to the North Pole first and there was a big push, harder in some ways, to get to the South Pole. Shackleton was part of the expeditions trying to get to the South Pole. He wanted to be one of the first to get to the South Pole. And on the second expedition he went to, he got within 90 miles of where the South Pole would have been. 90 miles. Based on your latitude, they already were at 89 point something, and the South Pole was at 90. So they were really, really close, and it ate on him. It ate at him. He really wanted to do it, to be the first. And this is a, a, a very important picture. Because Shackleton is there in the middle, and then the individuals on either side, the individual on the right side is Admiral Peary. He's the one that got to the North Pole first. The individual on Shackleton's left side is Amundsen. He's the individual that got to the South Pole first. There in the middle is Shackleton. 
who didn't get to either place first. I, I, this picture of Pike, he had this in his, his drawing room or on his desk. He probably woke up every day spitting nails at it because he, he wanted to be first. And here's a picture of him with the two individuals who were first. He did not get the opportunity to be first. Now, first carries with it a lot of prestige. It's something like, I did it first, and you know, that kind of thing. It's not that being second or third to do something is, is bad. It's, it's a good thing to go do what other people have done before. But he had been so driven and missed it by such a small, small amount. He did, however, come up with an idea. With the South Pole already discovered, I put that in quote marks, right? The South Pole already discovered, he wanted to do something truly amazing. He led an expedition in 1914, intending to be the first to travel all the way across Antarctica, near in the South Pole there, right? Antarctica, from one side to the other, and go right over where the South Pole was. So if you look at your map, they were going to start up here at the top left, and the red line is where they were leaving from. It's from the island of South Georgia. If you ever say you've been to South Georgia, that's probably not where you've been. South Georgia, and their intent was to follow this and get into uh, Antarctica, and then follow this light blue line, that teal line, to go straight across, and then on the other side, they were going to be running low on food at that point, make a, a beeline for the shore to catch a ride back on another ship. So Shackleton had two crews. One was going to be up there where that red line was to drop them off so they could make their race across Antarctica. His other crew on the other ship was on the other side of the world, coming down to pick them up. Now to make that easier, it's down on the bottom down here where you see the pink line. The pink line is the other crew. They came in and actually went ashore and dropped off supplies at two points. So that when Shackleton and his crew had finished taking their pictures, their selfies, I guess we would say, at the South Pole, as they were coming toward the shore, they would have food they could get. That way they didn't have to carry everything with them. They were supply depots along the way. It isn't going to work out the way Shackleton wanted. Now this was a pretty dangerous expedition. This is a picture of Shackleton after his first expedition where he got within 90 miles. No one has beaten him in the face here. That's due to exposure to the freezing conditions in Antarctica. But he was confident. He knew he could do it. After all, he was an Englishman. The Englishman back then certainly thought they could do anything. And so he led a crew of 28 and he named his ship the Endurance. What a great name. They were going to be enduring a lot. And so, face up to it, we'll put it out here at first, right? The endurance. We're going to be going, we're going to go to the South Pole. Some of us, a couple of us, are going to get off the boat, race across Antarctica, ice and glaciers, get to the South Pole, stop and take the selfies, right? And then head out and hopefully pick up supplies along the way and get to ride back. That's their plan. It was called the uh, Cross Antarctica Expedition, 1914. Okay? They didn't have fleece jackets. 
1914. They didn't understand very much about even really trying to keep all that extra warm. It was going to be really, really hard if everything went well. They also took 70 dogs. The goal was that the dogs were going to be pulling the sleds across Antarctica. 70 dogs. They were also there in case disaster struck because dogs were animals and I'm just going to let it hang out there as to what another use for a dog might be if you really had to. 70 dogs. 70 dogs. They had a photographer on the ship, and one of the reasons it makes such a great story is this photographer documented various parts of the expedition. They ran into trouble. They were in a wooden ship, and after moving in among the ice floes, again, trying to get to shore so they could offload and make their race across Antarctica, their ship got stuck in the ice. Now these days, you would have nuclear-powered carriers or iron, you know, metal ships, steel ships, and just crunch right through the ice. But even then, it can get tough depending on how thick the ice is. For a wooden ship, this is not a good thing. They had hoped, they had hoped that the ship would be uh, able to get, you know, loose, to come loose, and they could maneuver out, but the ice was not cooperating in 1914. It began to tilt because the ice pressure is stronger than the wood of the ship. It was stuck. And they started off in the spring, right? The latitude they were at is only, only has sunlight half the year. And it was stuck as darkness fell for seven months. They lived in this ship, trapped in the ice, in the dark. Remember the name of the ship? The Endurance? Chapleton told his crew, don't worry. We're going to make it. I will get every one of you back home. So they put on plays, right, with whatever they had. They put on plays. They had, you know, card games. They did a they dark for seven months. A lot of, lot of trouble. Eating who knows what, right? Eating who knows what. They had to wait it out and hope for a fall. Here's a picture of his crew. Here's a picture of his crew standing off the ship in the ice. That's a lot of responsibility that Shackleton had taken on to return each of these individuals back home safely. The ship didn't make it. On sometime, I think it was in October of that year, water started coming through the side. The ice had punched a hole in the wooden ship. And you can't prepare stuff like that when the ice is still pressing in on both sides. So what they did is he ordered a abandoned ship. They unloaded everything on the out of the ship onto the ice floe. Right? The entire crew had to abandon the ship and live on that ice floe. The ship sunk. Now, they were already a long way from home. You're a really long way from home when you're on an ice floe and you don't have a boat. You don't have a ship. Strangely enough, about four years ago, explorers found the remains of the ship on the bottom. They knew the exact coordinates, because they were scientists, right? They had the sextants to be able to measure where they were. 
The ship was in 10,000 feet of water beneath this ice wall. Pretty, pretty amazing. Here's the crew standing on the ice floe. Now they've got huts. They have a lot of stuff on the ship, but the ship's not there anymore. This is Shackleton over here. Almost, it reminds me kind of a Paul Bunyan look. I don't know, you know, he's got his suspenders there, his hands are in his pockets with a hat. I know it's hot outside. Right? It's hot. But you remember how cold sometimes it is in winter? You and I don't know what cold is compared to these individuals. Here's another picture of the camp on the ice floe. Now, if you look over there on the right, you can actually see some smoke. They have a few things they can try to burn, but the more you burn, the less there is to keep you warm. But if you don't burn anything, you do not. They're a hard way here. Now, they're on the ice floe. Their hope is that as the ice continues to come off of Antarctica, right? The glacier continues to push. The ice moves away from the land out towards open water, open sea. And the hope was that the ice flow would end up pushing them toward another island called Elephant Island. That was the hope. <clears throat> However, they soon realized it was not going in the direction they needed. So, they set out and hauled their lifeboats they had taken off the ship across the ice. Now, what's missing from that picture? The dogs weren't here anymore. The men acted as horses, as ox, to pull the boats, trying to get them to open water in the direction they needed to go. Here's another map. The start of the dotted line, you see the dot over here, right? That's where they got stuck in the ice. That's where the boat got stuck. And the ice moved with the dotted lines, moving in the direction they wanted to go, but it wasn't moving exactly like they wanted. So over here where the line changes color, that's where they started out pulling the boat behind them. How? Incredibly tiring with that work. Why were they doing it? Shackleton said, every one of you is going to survive. You have my promise. The solid line is when they finally got to open water. The ice flows were breaking up. They got in the lifeboats and made a desperate five-day journey where they landed upon Elephant Island. Now, Elephant Island is not named Elephant Island because it's in Africa with a safari always going on. There aren't any elephants. In fact, there's nothing on Elephant Island. There's not a single plant that grows, not even weeds. There aren't any native animals on the island. Not exactly, you know, where you want to go as a, a vacation spot. What they were able to do was to eat from time to time when an unfortunate seal or penguin came ashore. Can you imagine 20 hungry, half-starving men chasing a penguin, trying to catch it? Because if they don't, they won't have anything to eat for another day or two. The hope was that they would be discovered over here on Elephant Island because it was there was water around there, right? But hard. What if we're not? What if we're not? 
So Shackleton decided that he needed to make an effort on his own to save his men. In the middle of the night, he and I think it was four other men took one of the lifeboats and set sail. He left this note behind. Sir, I am about to try to reach the east coast of this island that would be South Georgia. He's trying to get over to South Georgia. For the relief of our party, I am leaving you in charge of Vincent McCarthy and yourself. You will remain here until relief arrives in the event of my non-return. If I don't make it, stay here. Somebody will hopefully find it. <clears throat> Look at the next phrase. Yours faithfully, Ernest Shackleton. This crew took off in horribly rough seas from Elephant Island, attempting to get to this little South Georgia island over here. Open water. This is not one of these motorboats. They didn't have any propulsion other than a sail trying to aim for that large island. It took them a couple of weeks of sailing. But they landed on the island. Now, why were they trying to get to South Georgia? That's where they left from. But they landed on the wrong side of the island. The whaling station was on the north side of the island. They landed on the south side of the island. What's the problem? There's nothing on the south side of the island. They can't just, you know, pick up, hey, can you come pick us up? You know, let me. So Shackleton and two other people, they left two behind, took off. Went across the island, having to go up about 5,000 feet of altitude across glaciers. And after all of this previous effort, and they had no climbing equipment, they had their shoes and they had taken some screws, pushed it through the bottom of their boots, their shoes, to give them a little traction. And when they were about at their wits' end, they thought they heard a bell. And it was a church bell ringing in the camp on the north side of the island. And they made it about an hour later. Shackleton, true to his word, immediately got a rescue party together. And this is the actual picture taken on Elephant Island as Shackleton's boat came back, the rescue boat. He said... He was going to save them all, and he did. He did. He never made it to the South Pole, but he is remembered for dedication to making sure that the result he's searching for happens. They talk about him in management courses at schools these days. It was a big deal when he had that 100-year anniversary of this expedition. Chapter. Now, I want us to think about Shackleton and his dedication to his men from the standpoint, I've had it up here most on most of these slides, of faithfulness. Faithfulness. When you think of faithfulness, the words you want to think about are reliable. If somebody is faithful, they are reliable. They are dependable. They are true to their word. When they say something, they're trustworthy. When they say something, they mean what they say. All of these should be qualities that describe us. They describe Shackleton. He told his men, 
want to get every one of you home. And he did. Whatever it took, he was true to his word. He was reliable. He was faithful. Now, more recently, you can think of faithfulness this way. That's, that's a Marine. Semper Fi. Always faithful. I don't know about you, but that guy looks pretty stern, doesn't he? I see a face like that, I want to try to make him smile. I want to crack a joke or do something. Sure, right after this picture is taken, he cracked up. He couldn't hold up. Maybe he could. But that's the idea, sternness. Right? I am going to be dependable. And that's what the Marines live as their, live out as their model. Well, the people are not always faithful. When we get married, people promise faithfulness to each other. Doesn't always happen. Shackleton was not faithful in his personal life. He was a womanizer. Personally, he is a horrible example of a human being. I'm not holding him up as an example of a great human being. I'm holding him up for how he dealt with adversity, faithful to his promises. But in other areas, he was not faithful to his promises. Same thing with Marines. You know, Semper Fi, always faithful is the ideal. Sometimes that doesn't work out. Certainly, personally, there could be a disconnect between what somebody says in their calling, their job, their vocation, and what they are as an individual. When we think about faithfulness as described in the Bible, strangely, maybe not, maybe not, most of the verses about being faithful and faithfulness are about God. Maybe that's because while we should be faithful, we sometimes, hopefully not often, but sometimes are not. Whereas God is always faithful. In Thurl's class this morning, he talked about how we have been created, recreated in the image of God. We are to be more and more God-like. Well, since God is faithful, if God's living within us, if His Spirit is living within us, we need to become more God-like each day. One aspect of God that we are to become God-like is to be faithful, just as God is faithful. So take a look at some of these verses talking about faithfulness. I want you to remember Shackleton, great example of faithfulness. Tell somebody else to look him up, right? But... I'm not holding him up as an example for how to live, not at all. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins. If we hide our sins. If we try to ignore our sins. If we try to not really be true to the mistakes that we've made, there's no promise that God is going to be forgiven. It's only when we truly expose ourselves, if you will, expose our true selves to God and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That God is faithful, but he is faithful. I'm the one who from time to time is not faithful to the things I have said I will do or commitments that I have made much to my dismay. Hebrews 10, 23. The writer of Hebrews says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, 
For he who promised is faithful. Well, we have confessed the foundation of our hope, which is that God will take us home, that God will forgive our sins, that since Jesus is God, he is going to prepare a place for us, and when he comes again, he will receive us again, so that where he is, there we can be also. That's my hope. I want to be wherever Jesus is. I want to go home to live with God wherever and however that is. I don't care as long as I'm with Jesus. That's my hope. And if we hold fast to that confession without wavering, without giving up, we need to remember that hope will turn into reality because the one who promised, I will come again and receive you to myself. Jesus is faithful. I need to be faithful to the confession I have made, the change that I am making in my life because God is faithful. Now this is going to be a line at a time. It's, it's probably an early song. Evan, this is probably an example of an early song from the first century. It's in the book of 2 Timothy. It says, the same is trustworthy for, and here's the first line of what was likely a song or a chant. They didn't have four-part harmony. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we have died to ourselves, if we have been buried in baptism, if we have died to our old way of living and been raised to live as a new person, then we will live with him. If we're living for ourselves, the promise is not made to us. It's only if we are living with Jesus now that we have the hope that we're holding on to of living with him in the future. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we can hold on, if we can endure to, against temptation, against stress, against the troubles the world brings, God has said, you will reign with me eternally. We're going home to live with God, as the old spiritual says. However, if we deny him, he will deny us. On that day of judgment, none of us want to hear Depart from me, I never knew you. If we are faithless, notice this. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. We may lose our faith. We may deny our faith. He's going to remain faithful because he cannot deny himself. Would have been interesting to see what that song would have been like. God is faithful. If somebody's lost, if somebody is not with God, it'll be because... They or we wandered away from God. It won't be because God left them or God left me. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. You're not going to be the first one ever tempted to do this, that, or something else. Right? Temptations have a very common basis, either in the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, or the pride of life. They all fit in these different categories, whatever it may be. Temptations are the same. Don't think that this only happens to me. Because it's not just you. It happens to everyone. God is faithful. Say that again. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. It doesn't mean it's not going to be a hard temptation. But the key is, do not give up. Do not give in. 
God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You know, think about this for just a minute. There's a way of escape from the temptations. Right? It's as if God has provided a ride to get away from the situation where the temptation is located. The problem is, too often, too many of us, instead of looking for a, an escape route, a way to drive away from where the temptation is, a way to get away from where the evil is going on, we want to know where the party is. We want to know where the action is. We want to know where I can go find people who are doing all these other things. Instead of running away from temptation, so many people run to it. That's not what God's talking about here. Paul is not talking about if you take, you know, an express train or an express car to go wherever the party is, you should be digging yourself in a hole. That's not what we're to do. We're supposed to be trying to look for ways to get out. Look at Jeremiah 31.3. God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. You don't ever think God doesn't love you. The children of Israel have done all sorts of horrible things. The kings and the people living there have done all sorts of horrible things that were abominations to God. God had loved them and loved them still, wanting them to come back. Wanting them to come back. His faithfulness was consistent. It stayed. It was the people. It was you and me who need to find our faithfulness again. Long passage. Joshua 24. This is at the end of Joshua's life after they have taken the land of Canaan and he gets people together in the same place that he had at the start of his conquering of the land really to kind of Remind them that the generations may pass, the commitment to God needs to stay the same. Joshua 24. Joshua speaking here says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and faithfulness. Serve Him today. Serve Him tomorrow. Serve Him the day after. Fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Now, most of us probably don't have an idol we brought in our pocket in the same way. It's probably not an idol, but there's a lot of other things that will compete for our attention, that will compete for our loyalty, that will distract us from serving God. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, if that's what you think, then decide today, Joshua says. Choose this day who you will serve. Either serve the gods that your father served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you were dwelling. Either serve those gods, or, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What are you going to do? What am I going to do? Am I going to vacillate? living for myself or living for God? Am I going to serve the gods of the world today? What God wants is for us to choose and 
to be faithful to our choice. And all of us here today, we've, we've come to worship God today. I really suspect all of us have made our choice or want this to be our choice. We need to be faithful to that choice. God is faithful and we are called to become more God-like each day as His people. Think about the fruit of the Spirit passage again. God's Spirit lives within me the moment I become His child. And with God's Spirit living within me, it has to generate fruit, behavior, characteristics that people are going to see are different from the way I was before. And if I'm not showing these characteristics, if I'm not showing love, if I'm not showing joy or patience or faithfulness this morning, you can't simply sit there and go, I need to be more faithful. No, what you need to be is to be closer to God. Focus on being more in tune with the spirit within, having your life be like God wants it to be. And that will generate fruit because the spirit will be, it's not a biblical phrase, but it will be at home within you. And that spirit will generate the fruit that's described here in Galatians 5. Which describes us this morning? Am I living and walking in the ways of the world, the ways of the flesh, the Bible would describe it? Or am I living and walking the way God wants me to be? Am I faithful? Am I reliable? Do I mean what I say when I talk to other people? Do I mean what I say when I tell God, I will live for you? Or am I faithless? Am I living in harmony with the Spirit dwelling within me? Now that Spirit only dwells within you if you are a member of His family, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a Christian. If you're not yet a Christian, that's the first step. Understand that God sent Jesus to live a perfect life and die so that He could pay the price for the sins that you have committed. You need to turn away from the way you've been living and as we've said before you need to die in the waters of baptism leaving the old you behind and be raised up to be a brand new person where God has forgiven your sins if you're not a Christian that's what needs to happen but if you are and these qualities we've been talking about just you just don't see them in your life then you need to get closer to those are things I want you to consider this morning as we stand in